Welcome a guest preacher whom you may have seen if you were paying attention to the emails. Uh, we have Dan uh, Iverson joining us this morning and preaching from the Word. And if you don't know Dan, um, Dan has served with MTW in Japan, uh, planting churches and um, helping to grow the believers in Japan from just a handful to several thousand now. And he's been serving since the uh, 1980s, 1986, right? So uh, we welcome him this morning and he'll be preaching. Um, what was the topic again? Luke 15. <laughs> Luke 15. So, Dan, welcome. Thank you so much. Good morning. Such a joy to be with you all. Such a joy to be living in America now. I get to preach in English every week, you know? Uh, it's really fun to preach in English after preaching way more sermons in Japanese for many years than, uh, than, than English sermons, for sure. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 15. I preached from Luke 15 here I, over 20 years ago, I think 23 years ago one time, uh, from the prodigal son and older brother story. But we're going to look at Luke 15, 1 through 7 this morning. Luke 15, 1 through 7. And we'll be looking at the whole chapter as well. As we look at the love of God, His love of God for us, for the lost. Uh, Younger brother types, older brother types, both. Hear now God's word. Luke 15, verses 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost." Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's pray together. Lord, we do beg you to come now during this time as we hear your word explained and applied, preached, that you would work in all of our hearts. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Bless my brothers and sisters and church friends that are here that we would see your great love for the lost, for us, that you, as we sang earlier, have come to seek and to save the lost. Lord, that we would come to see more of your love And that you would just show us our part in taking this love to a lost and needy world here in Gainesville and around the world. So bless our time together in your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I told a story years ago to you all of the commander, a Japanese commander who woke up on his aircraft carrier praying to his eight million gods, that many ships would be in the harbor December 7th, 1941, that he could kill many Americans. And Commander Fuchita was his name. And there were, the ships were in the harbor, many of them. Killed more than 2,000 Americans that day. 
And, uh, and amazing, could someone like that ever come to faith? And I told you the story how a missionary who had also come to faith in a Japanese prisoner of war camp knocked on his door one day. Uh, commander Fuchida knocked on that missionary's door. And that, that commander, after the war, came to faith. Commander Fuchida. And God made him new in Christ. Changed him radically. This, this gospel. And then how he became a pastor and went on mission with Jesus. Want to think today our father's heart for lost people like Commander Fuchida found him, came to seek Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost and loved him and found this guy who, uh, who led the attack on Pearl Harbor. God loved him, rescued him from his sin and hate and in response to that great love he went on mission with Jesus, for Jesus as, as a pastor. Wounded Tiger is the book that tells that story if you want to see it. Wounded Tiger, if you want to read about Commander Fuchida and how God brought him to faith. Today we want to look at all of Luke 15. I read the first seven verses, but you're familiar with the story, right? We want to see and believe about this love of God the love of Jesus for lost people and lost peoples, for the, the 16,000 people groups in the world. Seeing his love for us, for me, even with all my junk and sin, our great sin and his great love for sinners, for lost people. Pray that we'll believe the gospel afresh today as we prepare for communion. And God would show us our sin. And show us how he calls us to go on mission with him, like Commander Fuchida. That going on mission with Jesus for Gainesville and for the world is part of what he calls us to. I mentioned that I preached from Luke 15 here over 20 years ago. I, I focus on verse 11 and following to the end the prodigal son story and the older brother story. We'll talk about that. So familiar Jesus, his most familiar parable. Uh, but want to look at the whole chapter and think of the love of God for sinners and his call for us to go on mission with him. You know these three stories, right? Lost and found. What are the three? The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, which is Tim Keller and many others helped to see in you know, the prodigal God's book. It's really two lost sons. The older brother, the Pharisee, and the younger brother, the, pro the prodigal. Every scripture we pray, we pray today, would you pray as we walk through this passage that we'll see our sin and see our need for Christ afresh. Uh, maybe first time for someone and all of us to keep believing the gospel and say Lord what are you calling me to do what is one application or two applications that I can take from this myself today so as we think about the whole chapter I think the you know 11 through 24 the most famous story the, prod the prodigal son the most famous story of Jesus is a picture of Adam and Eve picture of the human race we're thinking we don't need our father, thinking we'll be happier if we go on our own, you know, look, give me the money, let me go. And it's, it's all pig's food. He, he ends up just miserable and, and eating pig's food and remembers my father. Oh, so much food. So wonderful father. And he remembers his love and he goes back 
to his father, repents and goes back to his father. Sin does not satisfy. We, we learn from that first story. We think of the prodigal son and we, we think of the older brother uh, as well in this story. The older brother in the last part of the chapter. Uh, a different kind of sinner. Uh, his sins are, he's, he's the only one not in the party. Right? At the, end, at the end of the story, this older brother who looks so good is not in the party. He's, he's self-righteous, uh, which, you know, he, he looks good on the outside. He's in the field, hard at work in the field. He's critical. Who's he critical of? He's critical of that younger brother. He's critical of his father as well. And yet his father is merciful. His father, we see, goes to both brothers. Uh, he, he's, he has, he's the, Jesus is really, because of verse 1 and 2, the Pharisees and others are criticizing Jesus in chapter uh, 15, verse 1 and 2. And then Jesus tells these three stories because he's targeting the Pharisees. The first story, the lost sheep, he doesn't really target the Pharisees. Uh, the lost coin, he doesn't really target the Pharisees, other than to say they're not loving what God loves. They don't love the lost. But in verse three, in uh, the third story, where he tells about the older brother, he really targets the he really targets the Pharisees and goes after them. What are the older brother's sins? Again, he looks good on the surface. Uh, he wants others to think. That he is good, but that's the sin of the Pharisees. I know about that. I tend to be a Pharisee. Did I ever tell you here, I don't think I did the sin I committed in Japan of opening my Bible. Could that be a sin? Opening your Bible? We had 6 a.m. prayer meeting at our church for a couple years during a time when uh, the church was really struggling. I thought we were going to have a big church split after all those years working and it just was such a hard time and I just said, we got to pray to God and I said, I'm coming every morning 6 a.m. A bunch of people came for about a year and the Lord brought us through that hard time and, uh, but then the second year or so, no one would come. It was just me. And I would be, I'd leave my house at 20, 20, to, 20 to 6. My next door neighbor, one day he asked me, I hear your engine start every morning at, uh, at 5.40. Where are you going? You know, non-Christian, actually an elder in the Buddhist temple and the Shinto shrine in our neighborhood. He asked me that. Uh, but, would, but no one would come. And I was sitting there one morning. And I uh, got there five till six and turned the heat on and I'm, you know, uh, sitting there at the table. No one's there, kind of having a pity party, not praying, not worshiping. About ten after six, I hear someone coming up the stairs. Opens the, the first door and then the door with the room I'm in right there. Uh, at the front door and about a half a second before that door opened to come into the room where I was I opened my Bible why did I open my Bible? would you agree that was a sin, a Pharisee sin? why did I open my Bible? anybody want to say? why? what's going through my mind in that millisecond this is going through my mind Whoever come, I mean, it just happened. What a sinner I am. Well, a grown man opened his mouth to look good. Yes or no, right? I wanted whoever comes through that door to be thinking, Pastor Dan, here he is early in the morning praying for our city, for our church, and maybe for my family, you know, in a millisecond. That's what went through my mind. I committed the sin. 
of, in that case, of opening my Bible to look at. That's a Pharisee kind of sin, isn't it? You know, want to look good on the surface. Not really worshiping. Praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit showed me that as I it was a brother in our church as we prayed and we did pray and about halfway through the hour prayer meeting I said, you know, I confess my sin of opening my Bible to him. And, and he confessed some of his sins and we had a richer time of enjoying the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ for prodigal sons, for older brothers, and for those of us like me actually who sometimes do both within the same hour. Anybody like that? I can be a, a younger brother kind of sin and an older brother in the same hour. My son Jonathan, our second child missionary in Japan now, when he was back from my father's uh, father-in-law's funeral service and um, I told this story at a church we both went to together while he was back and I, I uh, said, anyone here ever older brother sins, younger brother sins within the same hour? And I said, you don't really need your butt. I could see a few hands going up. I asked John after worship. I said, I didn't see your hand almost going up, John. I said, well, I was waiting for you to say within the same minute. <laughs> that's me. And that's us. Both of, both of those wanting to look good. I know I told, uh, when I preached on this 22, 23 years ago, this passage, and particularly focusing on that in the, the latter the last story, uh, I actually thought coming to your church, a church has it seems to have it all together, so important, raising our kids well. And, uh, and our oldest two sons, you know, we learned from our kids, I would say our oldest two sons were more the younger brother type. And our third son was more the older brother type. The third one was the older brother type. He, boy, did his homework. You know, he was the one we could count on to watch the younger kids. You know, he looked so good on the surface. The, the, old, the oldest two got in so much trouble in Japan. You know, the oldest son, you know, he got suspended from the last couple years of high school. We sent him across Tokyo. And he had to come, go two hours on the train and two hours at night coming back to go to a school where he could play sports and do stuff. And, and, and Danny was always... He got suspended for three days, and our number two, Jonathan, got in trouble with the police, you know, and cost us about $1,500, you know, and, and uh, Carol and I argue about how much it was. I'm pretty sure it's about $1,500, you know, it depends what exchange rate you use, I guess, you know. But uh, these two, hey, we all knew they were sinners who needed the gospel, you know. But whose soul was the one in the most danger? Danger. Number three. Number three. I remember even one time thinking of coming to your church to preach when we were on home assignment, talking to Carol, let's, let's just take Joel to Gainesville Presbyterian Church. Because Joel, what's the danger to parents of older brother kind of kids? Make us look good, right? In a superficial sort of way. And I remember thinking that. And our older, our older two who are always get in trouble and, you know, had their big, you know, pierced ears. And one of your uh, came the day before to check the PowerPoint out. We're standing in the back with one of your members. And uh, should uh, we have our sons take the, the earrings out of their ears? You know, the older two, the, the, the two more with the... And they were both following Christ, growing as Christians. And Joel, who really had not really come to faith yet, I think, in high school. He was still just, just a superficial, looking good, self-righteous son of a pastor, you know? And, uh, and your church member said, I 
think it'd be good for your church, for your sons to keep their earrings in, or for our church, for your sons to keep your earrings in, whatever that means. That's what, that's what he told me, you know. And, uh, but praise the Lord, Joel, in college, down the 29 here at UVA, about his end of his first year, came to see his Pharisee sin, and guess what? His younger brother sins too that he wouldn't tell anybody. You know, that, hey, th- this gospel is for sin. We see the love of Jesus for, for sinners in this passage. The love of the Father for all sin, all types. You know, what's your tendency? Or is it both like me? Probably so. But the bigger message of this chapter, though, is not about the older brother, younger brother. We, we learn about, but it's about the Father. The Father's love. For sinners, both kinds of sinners. He goes after the Son. He pursues, you know, the joy in heaven over the lost sheep. He leaves the 99, goes after the one. The, the joy over, you know, finding the coin. The joy in heaven over lost that are found. The Father, we see in the story, the prodigal son comes back, surely. He's thinking as he walks along, you know, will, the, will my dad take me back, you know? And uh, I think for me as a father who really did love the Lord, loved my mother, and my dad went to be with the Lord in the fall, and uh, 95 years old and just doing so much reflection on his life, and he really, yeah, if I was that prodigal walking on that long road from a far country, I know my dad. I know he's going to take me back. And, and that, yes, our Heavenly Father, when he, when he sees His Son coming down the He runs to embrace and to hug and to love His Son. How great the Father's love for us. This song we often sing in our church in Waynesboro, Virginia. We moved back to the States a year and a half ago working for MTW, now based in the States. Billy Graham's daughter is in our church. She's a little older than we are. I'm 71. And her name is Ruth Graham, like her mother. And at her dad's funeral, a famous funeral several years ago when Billy Graham died, you heard her, it's a public story, so I'll tell it. And we've gotten to know her. And she tells how her father, when she was a prodigal, and as she went away from God, and, you know, they had warned her, mom and dad had warned her, the direction she was going, the day she came home, and her father comes out to greet her and love her and hug her. He wasn't the famous preacher, Billy Graham. He was going to, he was a father. I think I can't help but think of that. I think about my son, and uh, we have one of ours who the last several years now has indeed deconstructed his faith, doesn't believe the gospel, pushing back and going his own way. Uh, And it's the saddest thing of my whole life and the saddest thing of our 47 years of marriage. And I think, what? As we weep over our son, that if he figuratively, really, he he does come home, he loves us, he comes, we have good, I'm meeting with him this afternoon on FaceTime to, to talk and spend some time together. But when he spiritually comes home, oh, how I will run to him and love him. That's my son, right? That's the love. Where? The, the love of our Father is where we learn that love. But then the other theme of this chapter, okay, we see the, 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 the lost son, the older brother. We see the lostness of ourselves and our need to come 
Uh, and what we see, the, the Father's love, we see the love of Jesus going to embrace sinners. But the, 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 this really is a missions conference kind of chapter. The chapter is about mission. How? You look at verse 1 and 2 that sets up the whole chapter, right? What's in verse 1 and 2 of Luke 15? Jesus is with whom? Sinners. Jesus goes to be with sinners. That's who he loved. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. This is really a chapter. It is about mission. God's love for sinners. Jesus is with sinners and the Pharisees criticize him. And, and, and they, they, they criticize him for being with sinners and bad people. And then Jesus tells these three stories. The lost sheep. The lost coin. The lost sons. The younger brother sins. Older brother sins. He leaves the 99. Jesus is on mission. If we today, if we know Christ like the last sermon I preached here during COVID from Luke 19.10 for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. If you know Jesus today it's because he called your name like Zacchaeus you come down from going to your house today. You know, if you know Jesus, it's because he sought you. He brought people. I think Christian Home, Covenant Child, but at college, second year of college, Terry Wilkes and Roger Wall. Would I, I don't think I really did know the Lord. And God brought people to He. You know, I thought I was finding him, but he was seeking and coming to me and changing my heart. How about you? This love, the love of the Father for sinners, for us. We want his love. Yes. To be the thing we embrace. That's the first application for the message today as we take some time to apply this whole Luke 15. I mean, today might be the day you haven't ever really believed in Jesus. Maybe today is the day to believe the gospel, to believe in Jesus. Say, so take me, I'm your, take me Jesus. You know? Maybe you've been playing church. Maybe today's the day you say, Father... Take me. I'm coming home to you. Jesus, save me. Maybe a covenant child that's here. I grew up as a covenant child in the church. I knew the catechism. I knew the Bible so well, you know, but went to college, was on my own, a Pharisee and a younger brother pretending, still going to church, but not did not really know the Lord. And through my sin and some failure, really came to see. Maybe covenant children here. Today's the day. Jesus, I do, I believe in you. Maybe mistake sometimes, something people like in Japan, think of Mr. Iwata. His wife came to faith. God worked in her heart through a, a deep, hard struggle in their family with a daughter. The next door neighbor was a deacon in our church and brought her to Bible study, then to worship with fear and trepidation, coming to Christian worship. What are they going to do there? She came to faith, believed her husband, Came with her one time, got to be my friend, Mr. Iwata. For three years, we'd walk down the road talking and sit and study, study the Bible. He said, oh, I'm starting to believe, but I can't, I can't come to faith. I can't believe and be baptized yet until I get better. <laughs> the more you hang around Christians, the more you read the Bible, the more you're going to see your sin and how far away you are. And that your only hope is Jesus. Not, I told the story uh, when I 
sometime back here, I believe, sometime about the rescue of Jessica Buchanan by SEAL Team 6 in Somalia. You know, she's there 90 days and helpless. She's, you know, surrounded constantly by these bad guys that were demanding $40 million. And when she, you know, suddenly gunfire breaks out in the middle of the night and she thinks it's another group of bad guys who are trying to, to get her so they can get the ransom and, and suddenly the gunfire stops and she feels, uh, she feels a man's hands on her back and she's fighting and, and, uh, and suddenly she hears Jessica Buchanan, I'm taking you home in perfect American English, you know, <laughs> such a great story of rescue and, and she looks up and she tells the SEAL Team 6 guy, Hey, it's okay. I got this. Right? Is that what she did? <laughs> I, can, I, can work, I can get out of this myself. No. In fact, he didn't even give her a chance. He threw her on his back to rescue her and carry her off to where the helicopter was coming in. That's what Jesus comes to. Maybe today is your, yes, Jesus, rescue me. But also, one of our applications is to be moved by his love. It's easy to get used to it, right? I think that may be my biggest sin in my Christian life, is being used to his love and grace. Because I know about it. You know how much we need daily worship. And, and, and I find the, the next application, telling his good news to others is one of the ways that it stays fresh and wonderful to me. Being on mission with Jesus. He, he, his love calls us to go on mission to seek others, to our, to our neighbors, to go on mission with Jesus. I, I just appreciate my dad doing lots of writing, thinking about my dad, a sinner, of course, but really did love Jesus, loved the lost, loved our mother, loved us well. I remember, might have told the story here before, but a, a, a young man addicted to... Bad drugs lived in our home for a while, and then the young man stole a bunch of money from our family and ran away. And my dad went and found him, brought him back, forgave him, brought him back. It would have been just to take him to the police. Some would say that's what he should have done. You know, justice and mercy all mixed together. God didn't just give us justice, his mercy, his mercy, his and my dad gave this young man mercy. He was he was a little smarter. He hid our family's money, you know, after that. And, and this young, the, seeing my father love this lost guy who had done us really wrong and keep loving him. How? We, we, we see that. This is, this is my, where did my dad learn this from? From God who rescued him. This is where we learn this from. So believing this ourselves and saying, Lord, help me to be part of rescuing others. You know, really, as I think about the church, I love, quote, God's, God, it's more than that the, the Bible teaches us that, uh, that the church has a mission. In some ways, we could say the Bible teaches us that God's mission has a church. To go into the world to seek and save the lost. He calls us to do that. As a fire exists by burning. As a fire exists by burning. The church exists by mission. That this is what he calls us to. Uh, that God's working out there in the world. You know, as we pray. I joined, I mentioned in Sunday school, I joined the Kiwanis Club in our town. Wanna, you know, I'm new to the town. Wanna, now moving back here, want to meet. You know, we have our church, but to meet non-Christians. And sure enough, the treasurer of the Kiwanis Club, you know, got, gotten to know him and talked to him and he 
had uh, a long talk with him a couple weeks ago, and turns out he's got a son who came to faith through crew. Used to be Campus Crusade for Christ. And I, when I asked him, I, uh, oh, or do you believe the things your son believes? He said, oh, no, not at all. But, he, but, but we support him financially, everybody. He doesn't believe, hadn't gone to church since college, doesn't believe. But when I heard that, when they, God is it, you know, so I, I got, his, got his son's number, called his son, and guess who are allies now praying for the treasurer of the Kiwanis Club? His son and daughter who are crew staff at a university in one of the Virginias, you know, uh, as we pray for the dad. And he said, you know, maybe you could give the message next Christmas for Kiwanis Club because we kind of do a little Christmas thing every year and got to have a, a deeper talk with him just a couple weeks ago. God's at work out there in the world. How do we get around non-Christians? Sometimes the longer we exist as a church, the more Christians we have. It's, it's, it's the newer... I know Tim Keller talks about the church grows from the peripheral. You know, the newer... Newer believers, or even those who don't believe, who come to church, are bringing their friends. They have lots of non-Christian friends. Often, you know, all my friends are church people and uh, you know zealous Christians. And uh, my son Danny in Atlanta, uh, in uh, planning an inner-city church and and doing a lot of mercy ministry, says he learned at Perimeter Church where he did his internship how to get to, to go with people from their church to help serve in even a secular mercy ministry thing and all the people say oh we thought you were all haters you really love people you brought all these people to serve today and to help and then they build relationships with those people even helping is a way as we love our neighbor like like the good samaritan story to show the love of christ and then to get to talk about why we do these things to show the inconsistency of the secular view that you know how do we get here? Time plus chance. The strong survive. The weak die. And here we are. The, the result of billions of, you know, millions of years of time plus chance. But the secular ethic is what? To be benevolent to all peoples and the equality of all peoples. Completely inconsistent, right? Why would we do that? Let's let the weak die. Let's not go help those who are hurting, you know? It's completely inconsistent. And yet, because people are made in the image of God... What do they know they need to do? They're all the quantities. If they, do, if they let me do the Christmas message next year, that's what we'll talk about. All the good stuff they do in our town, you know? It's inconsistent. We should stop. It doesn't make sense if we're just saying, if there's no God. But they don't. They can't act that way because they're made in God's image. As law is written on their heart, they know they want to go serve the kids of our town and try to do those things, right? So yeah, so we, we go out and say we want to uh, the, the mercy ministry to our city and the people in need helps us to show the and then to have the conversations about why do we even want to do these things? You know, I know, I know in Japan that happened after the tsunami that a, a Baptist pastor uh, planning a church in a little town up on the coast there, and they, the town had no water. And our, one of our trucks came through that town and had one more big I don't know. Uh, you know, 500 liters of water or something could hardly get it off the truck to leave with him. 
And he said, you, his name of his church plant was Oasis. You know, fewer than 10 people. <laughs> but they didn't have any water. Oasis and they had no water. Well, we gave them water. And we said, we'll bring you water from Chiba every day. So you could be the water point for the community. You know? And he said, whoa, you guys moved our church plant forward two years by us becoming the water point for the community. Isn't that a great story? It's true. True story. Baptist, conservative Baptist missionary from Canada, you know, planning a church there. I used to joke, yeah, that's the uh, first time in church history we have Presbyterians taking lots of water to Baptists. How's that? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, God used that. And, and uh, the other day on a Zoom prayer meeting call, one of our young younger missionaries, we were talking about this on the Zoom call, how God uses serving with the recent earthquake in Japan. Uh, he, again, no, it's not as big a deal this time, and not, but, but God's using that. And, and Abby, on our uh, Tokyo City Center team, she told everyone in the Zoom call, yeah, this, uh, this is during the tsunami, it wasn't. We may have moved the church plant up there two years forward by taking them water and other stuff. We did, we're trying to start a presbytery up north. First church plant is up there. But she said in our tower, where we're getting ready to start a church here in city center Tokyo, and it's hard to make contacts with people, everyone in our tower with a thousand people in Tokyo knew us because they let, the, they let us have the the community room to store all the stuff for the trucks to come in and take supplies up north. Everybody knew us. And some people said, hey, could we go with you on the trip up north? You have six hours in the, in the truck with, with a non-Christian friend, you know, who now says, whoa, I like what you guys are doing. God, you know, what ways can God work in us? And, and not just those in our neighborhood. To, to remember the lost peoples of the world this morning and my devotions just looking through Psalm 96, 97, 98, 99, 100. I was just going to look at 96. But over and over again, the world, the Lord reigns. Let the earth, let the distant shores rejoice. Every chapter, all of... So many... The Bible is full of this theme of the need to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I appreciate your church being a church that cares to do that. Sending the young people of your church. Want to challenge not just young people, old people can come be a part of this as well. Think of Cordell Stone, an older guy, had his own construction business, sitting in a missions sermon like this, falling asleep. Yeah, thankfully no one here, right? No one here is falling asleep. <laughs> falling asleep in a mission sermon, thinks no relation to me, and suddenly there's a testimony of... Someone, a man says, you know, I'm not very good at talking, but I'm good with my hands. And every year I go away for a month and I help build a school or a church building or a hospital around the world. God uses, you know, that Jessica Buchanan rescue. It wasn't just the 15 members of SEAL Team 6. It was the satellite guys who knew where she was. It was the airplanes, you know, the, who flew the airplanes from America. The, the people that, that, that packed their parachutes, you know. How many people, how many military people? Ever military here? You know, how, how many people were really on that mission? A thousand or two thousand, you know, when you think about it. It's the same with the church. Cordell and his wife came to Japan, ended up coming to Japan, and we were about their third or fourth place to build a church building, to build, to do things like that. All the gifts are needed. What are your 
older people too say, Jesus, I'm willing. What do you want me to do? Yesterday, after my presbytery up in Chesapeake, presbytery up in Maryland, had lunch with a guy. told me when I preached at their church in Columbia, Maryland, um, just six or eight months ago, spent the afternoon with he and his wife. Good government job, a GS, something real high up. He's about 50, I guess. And he told me yesterday that after that talk that afternoon, he and his wife started the contacted Mission of the World. And they're leaving and they're, they're going through the assessment process to be, to be missionaries and to come to Japan. I said, really? I wish you had told me that. I think I go talk at churches nothing happens, you know. And, uh, and so who, who today might be the same thing? You know, someone retired. We have all these retired people coming to Japan and going to places around the world to use the gifts like Cordell Stone and, uh, and uh, you know, whatever skill and ability you have, teaching in schools, doing just modeling. There's so many things we can do in the world. I think I'm 71 and this helps me. You know, whatever you think of President Biden, President Trump, set that aside. But as John Piper says, if these two around 80 can try to take on the hardest thing in the world, how about our greater cause as we get older to say? And I appreciate my dad that modeling that. Even when he was 87 years old, he sent me a paper at a church that was uh, in the inner city of Newark, New Jersey, down to about 15 people and needed revitalization. And, they, they, and my dad wrote a paper for the revitalization of this church, said, I'll come and be your pastor to work for two years. At 87, he did this. And I remember thinking two things. Boy, I appreciate my dad. I want to have a heart like that when I'm 87. The second thing, anybody want to know what I thought? The second thing? I hope they don't say yes. He can't remember what he promised yesterday. You know? <laughs> but he, but that, that's the heart. You know, based on our cognitive ability and physical ability, say, Jesus, what do you want me to do in light of your love for me? And you're rescuing me as we go out into this world to serve Him. You know, uh, giving. Your church has been a faithful giver for us all these years. Thank you. Thank you. And training your kids to give. The, in Sunday school, the guy I showed you in, uh, in um, one of the slides, he quit his job, helped us with the tsunami relief, and he had this vision. He'd come to Christ to sing black gospel music. And he's on a trip with a 20-something young lady from Park City's Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. Well-discipled young PCA girl. And as they're driving north, and uh, took a lot of, you know, gave all these the supplies they gave. And, and she's asking his vision, and he says, uh, I want to go to seminary in America, get trained, come back to start a church in Japan. And, uh, and she hears that, said, whoa. Long story, but the short version, she tells him, I just inherited $100,000 from a relative, and my daddy and mommy taught me to tithe. I want to give $10,000 to help you go do that. And I've been thinking, he doesn't know English, how much money it's going to cost, impossible, great vision, old John, but no way it'll happen. Well... I said, don't, let, don't give it yet. Let's do a matching. And, and other people who knew him, we matched. got 20000 That was the start. They're back in Japan now. That was 12 years ago. Back in Japan, planning a church. And Rachel... 
Po, is that it, that you guys support from uh, the Korean Church, Central Presbyterian? She's on that team where he's planning that church. See, so God uses all of us. That, that young lady from Parkside and her parents teaching her about tithing and giving was part of a new, a new church plant in the middle of Chiba City. There's so much, so many applicants. Prayer, you know, I've told you before how, how many times we wanted to quit and sustain by your prayers and prayers of our partners. We think about praying for our children, you know, being on mission, praying for our children, just I was convicted of my sin as a father. I feel like I did a better job as a father when our kids were in the home. And they're, now they're gone, scattered all over. And my wife's more intentional, do better at following up with our kids. And we have eight who know Christ, married to believers, and one who's away from the Lord. As we think about, oh, we do, and I've been really convicted. So we started, told, told, went to our kids, said, please forgive me. I have not been a good proactive father. I know you're, how you apply this with those who have adult children. Each situation's different. But for us, as Carol and I wrestled through that, we went to our kids individually. Said we need to, we want to repent. And we want to do this. Every first and third Sunday night, 8 p.m., we're going to be on Zoom for an hour. And we're going to just talk and catch up. And, you know, we scheduling helps. We're all busy, you know. So we're going to put this big rock in our schedule. First and third. 8 o'clock tonight, we're going to do it. Second time. And uh, to pray. And we're going to, from 8.15 to 8.45, we're going to pray. And we, whether any of you come or not, we're going to be on there to pray. And to pray for you guys and the 35 grandchildren. And to pray for our life, for our marriage. To pray for your marriages. To pray for our one to come back to faith. The one who's away. He, when he got the email and the text, he said, uh, Dad, can I, I don't believe, but can I come? What do we say? Of course, you know. And he was there. And, and almost all of the kids were there. Jonathan was there, number two. Uh, those two who were the prodigals are both PCA teaching elders now. <laughs> but he was on a trip out to western Japan taking supplies. But his wife was there. And so, yeah, what, what's the application? The Zoom gives us opportunities for prayer. For missions, I wanted to almost say, okay, for Melanie, a prayer meeting for Melanie. I'd love to commit two times. I think to commit to a time helps us to, like Jonathan Edwards uh, wrote about the Great Awakening. You know, a time and a place, in effect, this is what he said, we're busy, it's hard, but to commit to a time and a place, unless providentially hindered, to gather to pray is helpful for most, most of us. I think Zoom is a way, in this modern era, is a way to help us do that. We've seen more prayer being raised up for Japan uh, as people gather in little groups and big groups to pray for Japan. I would if you asked me. I'll commit two times to pray with some of you for Melanie and their church plant there to pick a time and a place to pray together. Maybe that would start doing more. Okay, need to end, I know. God's love for us leads us as we're moved by His love for us again today to embrace Him. Jesus, take me, I'm yours. We say, Jesus... I really haven't been on mission with you, even though you came on mission for me. The love of Christ leads us to be new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And then what does verse 18, 19, and 20 say? The context is going on mission. Having been reconciled. Verse what, right? We interpret Scripture. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Being new in Christ, it means other things, but for sure, 18, 19, and 20, having been reconciled, 
we do the ministry of reconciliation. Repeats it twice. And then verse 20 calls us ambassadors for Christ. We beg, we urge you to be reconciled to Christ. We're constrained by the love of Christ to be on mission. And if you go back a couple verses to verse 14, it uses that word. I love the three C's. Constrained by the love of Christ in the King James. Compelled by the love of Christ. ESV and NASB. Controlled by the love of Christ. It makes us new and puts us on mission. What's your application today? He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again on their behalf. The love of Christ compels us to take us on mission. I told you this story before. I'll end with this. My son Danny, one of the prodigals in high school, going to that high school two, two hours away by train, he got in trouble, suspended for three days. My wife called and said, Danny got suspended. You got to come home right now. I said, let me talk to him. Danny, what did you do? I said, uh, Dad, I'm sorry. I messed up bad. Danny, what did you do? I said, please, can I tell you when you get home? And I was ready to hang up the phone, hop on the train. And so I said, Dan, I remember when I had messed up as a kid, my dad had uh, done this to me. My dad had said to me, Dan, Danny, my same name. I love you, and you can't change my love for you by what you do. Now, my dad wasn't a perfect dad. His love wasn't perfect, but he did love me. And, and, and I remember how I remembered in that instant, on the phone with Danny, the love of my father for me that helped me come to know the love of God, the father, my father. And I told Danny over the phone, I said, Danny, whatever you did... Uh, you can't change my love for you. I love you, son. And hopped on the train. I'm thinking, oh man, I wonder if he did that. And uh, thought, no, nah, it couldn't have been that. It would, he would have got suspended for more than three days. You know, <laughs> you know. I thought of other things. Oh Lord, uh, you know. Got home and he told me what he did, and I didn't show up. But I was kind of okay. It wasn't that bad, you know? But, but it was bad. And I and my sin came out because I'm thinking, what do other people think of me? Any parents ever have that sin? You know, that's my big one. I, that, yeah, to look good. That Pharisee side. Want my kids to make me look good. And the old, you know, want my ministry to make me look good. Want this sermon to make me look good. Man, I am such a sinner in need of this grace of Jesus. And Danny came through that time. He came to see us in. He told me two weeks, and we went back two hours to pray with the principal, and he's weeping. And I think that's when Danny really came to faith in Christ. You know? And two weeks later, he says, Dad, you know when you told me on the phone? You love me. And that my actions can't change your love for me. That was really powerful in my life. It isn't. Whatever kind of parenting we had today, wherever we come from, our background, and that's a hard story in Japan for some people because there's no idea of the loving father, you know. Uh, but, but we know about this loving father, how great the father's love for us. We say, Lord, forgive me, love me. Thank you for your love. Forgive me and put me on mission with you for this lost world and for our kids and for our grandkids. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are weak and needy. We beg you for your help. Our sin is ever before us. As we take the Lord's Supper here, we remember our sin and we look to you and pray that indeed we will show this grace that this supper shows to Gainesville and to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.